pond. Sunny fall day. We'd been living in Patrick'sville for a little more than six months. Saturday morning, we were driving 40 minutes to Brunswick for Grace's soccer game. There were not enough kids in Patrick'sville for a team, let alone a league. Brunswick was also where Grace went to school. Sam, in the passenger seat, said, Maybe it's that the air is so clear out here that they can smell it on us. We'd come from Seattle, where we'd spent the past five years in a suspended final salute to our youth, the denial phase, adopting the baby into our lifestyle more than we adapted to meet her, running ragged until one morning it was as if we both woke up in bliss and acceptance. A dairy farm in the country beckoned. Radical acceptance, says Sam's therapist to quit dawdling amongst ghosts of friends and feelings and meet adulthood head-on. In the country. We could laugh to hear the others say it out loud. It sounded so fairy tale. But that's what it was. Back to the land. Once we decided on it, we wanted to make the move before Grace started school and started making friends. We had a going-away party, which was really more like a going-away dinner with a couple of our couple friends. And that was that. We packed the car and left no commitment, material, spiritual, or otherwise, behind. Friday night, night before, near dinner time, the horizon is glowing orange and Grace is nowhere to be found. This is not so unusual. She is a born wanderer, like her father. But she doesn't come when we call, and this part is unusual. It starts to get dark, as in very, very dark. In the country dark. No moon rises. We split up and trace larger and larger circles, calling her name. Walking the tree line behind the house, I see my wife's flashlight bobbing across the road and across the unplowed field. She's doing a worse job at suppressing the fear in her voice. Just before ten, we reconvened in the house. A few minutes after that, there was a knock on the door. It was Paul Peterson from next door. The last and only other time he'd been here was with a peach cobbler, and we showed him around and talked about all the changes we had planned for the place, and when he went home he smiled and said, If you ever need anything, now he was holding his gun. He was not smiling. If that girl ever comes on my property again, I won't hesitate. He spat on the porch and then walked home in the dark. When he was halfway down the yard without turning around, he said, Just a friendly warning. Grace came home not long after. I didn't know what to say to him. What can you say to a man with a gun and fifty miles of darkness and wilderness behind him? Maybe they can smell it on us. It was everywhere. The store, the post office... People you pass on the sidewalk look at you different. They know you're not one of them, and they know you know. Brunswick was different. It was an exurb in the hinterlands of a non-existent city. A free radical floating detached in the great empty middle of the continent. A rectangle tracked nearly a quarter mile long of neatly spaced two-story houses planted seemingly at random in the midst of all that farmland. Neither Sam or I wanted to admit it but we both felt more comfortable there. It offered at least a placebo of civilization, of urban life. And if enough people get together in one place and put their faith in a placebo, eventually it'll cease to be a placebo. So I didn't mind the long drive. 
In fact, by the time the soccer season began, I looked forward to it. Everything's a long way from everything out here anyways. In the country. We took her to the playground after the game, and she played a while with a few of the other girls. Look at this. Sam handed me a flyer. She'd found it taped to the bottom of the slide. We want to kill you. There was a roughly drawn red circle touching all four sides of the page. Davidson Manor, Brunswick's premier haunted attraction. Live shows every night till Halloween. Guest participation mandatory. Mandatory was spelled with an E. Small print along the bottom of the page listed the admission fee. A suggested donation of a can of peaches. We looked to some of the other parents, but they just shrugged. They'd never heard of the place. Sam said, They shouldn't post these kinds of things on the playground. And we all nodded in agreement. When she thought nobody was looking, she slid it into her purse. Wednesday before Halloween. Cleaning up after dinner, she asked if I thought it was age-appropriate for Grace, since it was posted on a slide. I said that those things usually aren't. She said, yeah. Then, on Friday night, we called a babysitter for Grace and went out to dinner. When the bill came, I said, hey, what if we went to the Davidson Manor instead? She didn't answer, and for a moment I thought that she didn't know what I was talking about, but then she said, instead of the movie? Lawrence of Arabia, her favorite movie. I said, yeah. She said, I was thinking the exact same thing. Should we call Michelle? Only if we think we're going to be late. An hour later, we were pulling into Brunswick. There were four colors that the houses in Brunswick could be, and they alternated and repeated in a very noticeable, very hypnotic pattern which made the neighborhood seem even larger than it was. Robin's egg blue, pale pink, sandy beige, and white. I sort of thought it would be in an empty warehouse or a factory or something, she said. Or the old slaughterhouse, I said. Maybe it's at the school. Is that the school's address? No. We scanned the addresses on the houses until we found it. Just a house like any of the others. We parked in the street and double-checked the address. There was a small sign staked in the lawn with an arrow pointing toward the front door. Enter. As we walked up the driveway, I realized that my heart was racing. I, th I think this is the scariest I've ever been at something like this. We both laughed. We knocked on the door and soon after heard footsteps on the other side. My face and ears were burning. And it was just a normal-looking guy who opened the door. Glasses, an offensive little patch of hair on his chin. In fact, I would almost say that he had a generally pleasant face. An almost concave man, except for the little hint of a potbelly where he tucked his polo shirt into his jeans. He said hello, and we returned the greeting, and then we both stood there. We're here for the show, said Sam. Ah, excellent, yes, yes, of course. Step right in. We did, and he closed the door behind us. So, no little ones? We glanced at each other, back at him, but said nothing. 
The briefest glimpse of something I read as disappointment flashed across his face and was gone. Well, you'll have to give me one second here, sorry. He hurried off into an adjacent room. You've caught me in the middle of my dinner. Oh, I'm sorry, we had no idea. No, don't be sorry, quite all right. Just one second. Then he was off up the stairs, two at a time, surprisingly spry. There was a TV playing in the living room to our right, a half-eaten steak on the coffee table. Maybe a minute had passed when the lights turned off upstairs, and we heard thunder. A moment later, the man appeared at the top of the stairs. He was carrying a small stereo, which was playing a cassette tape of spooky Halloween sound effects and wearing a Phantom of the Opera half-mask. Good evening, my guests, and welcome to the Davidson Manor. We have a full tour planned for you. He stuck his hand in his pocket, and a strobe light flashed. Then he descended the stairs and hung a sign on the balustrade, which he pulled from a nearby bureau drawer. Admission fee. Recommended donation of a can of peaches. Shoot. Sam looked at me. I forgot to grab peaches. The man stood at the foot of the stairs, his hands clasped behind his back, staring at us with a pleasant smile. I'm sorry, we don't have any peaches. But that did not stop his stare. I took five dollars out of my wallet and tried to hand it to him. He nodded his head toward a cardboard box on the floor behind me. Donations. There was one very dusty can of peaches inside. I tossed in the money. Sorry. He gestured us into the living room. Please. We sat down on the couch and he turned off the television and dimmed the lights. The Davidson Manor has a long history of disturbing violence and gruesome death. Is... My wife interrupted. I'm sorry. Is there anyone else coming? The man blinked. It would appear not. He took a second to recompose himself. The original owner, Saul Davidson, built the house for his wife and young child. Within a year of moving in, both were dead of yellow fever. I could feel Sam's gaze on my shoulder, trying to get my attention, but one of us had to keep our eye on the man's monologue. Is it... Sam again. I'm sorry, is it... Is it just you? He sighed. No offense. I'm just wondering. If you must know, I must confess, till now I had thought that the man was strange. Eccentric, maybe. But at this point I began to wonder if maybe he wasn't a bit... touched. I had a cousin who was. Growing up, he was the only person I ever heard use this phrase. If you must know, if you must know, anyways, if you must know, my wife and children are here, but they are hiding. He checked his watch and then shuffled down the hall, saying, one moment, please. The living room window looked out onto the backyard, neatly trimmed, contained in a low wooden picket fence. The house was on the edge of the development, so beyond the fence, lay nothing but vast country night, all those untilled fields and all that nothing looming ever-present all around the little manicured piece of suburban civilization. 
A shovel was stuck standing in the earth, the close-cropped grass interrupted by three grave-sized patches of freshly turned soil. Nice touch, huh? The man was somehow standing right behind me. I could feel his damp breath on my neck and my arm nearly cocked to hit him, but I just said, yeah. He led us next into the kitchen, which had been turned into a maze of black trash bags. The fixtures had all been fitted with black lights, and a different Halloween sound effects mix was playing on some hidden speaker. He disappeared in a whirl of plastic, and then a small motor whirred to life, and soon fog began pouring into the room. All right. Enter now, if you dare. My wife and I looked at each other, and with a big grin, she gestured for me to lead the way. But I did not want to go. I don't know when the situation changed from a fun oddity into a night of life-or-death decisions, but that is how my central nervous system was reacting. Like there was a tiger lying in wait behind those trash bags. The dully glowing purple-black entrance to the maze suddenly became horrible, the mouth of death itself. He said nothing else. He was just in there, waiting. Whatever pheromones or change in the atmosphere my subconscious had picked up on was evidently lost on Sam. She took my wrist in both hands and tried to pull me in, but I would not budge. We'll be in in just a second, she said. She mouthed, what, at me. Then she said, is it scary in there? For what might have been 30 seconds, he did not respond. Only the hiss of the fog machine. And then he said, very. I wanted to run. It was as though I were sharing my head with someone else, a systems manager who slept on a cot in the furnace room and only came out once, maybe twice a year. We spoke different languages, and as I stared at the linoleum floor and the trash bags and the phone charger and the countertop outlet, he was pounding on the door, trying desperately to be understood, screaming as if he were trying to overcome the language barrier by sheer force of will. But the rational mind is deeply entrenched at this late date. The rational mind requires evidence. The man at the door is a kook, an embarrassment to be overcome, killed if at all possible, but certainly ignored. A forest of fishing line taped to the kitchen ceiling brushed across the skin of my neck. The fog machine cycled off. The room was choked. I could not even see to the end of the makeshift hall. Sam leaned on my back, pushing me forward. How big could the kitchen possibly be? My feet shuffled reluctantly ahead. Eventually, we turned the corner. Nothing happened. Every muscle in my body was tensed to the point of soreness. I thought that I could hear him breathing. I listened closer. I could not. Or he was holding his breath. 
I felt a tugging on my ankle, and then something fell on me. I screamed. Sam laughed. A plastic skeleton on a pulley system. I disentangled myself from the bones and tossed it. Somewhere between all that plastic, I could hear the man snickering. The next hallway was the last, and then we were spit out into the laundry room. Our host was nowhere to be seen. A handwritten sign taped to a door read, This way. It led to the garage. There was a tarp on the floor, and a layer of soil spread atop it. Rows of corn stalks had been planted, thick enough to obscure the center of the room. This time Sam took the initiative. She found two open, empty coffins waiting amidst the corn. Creepy, she said. My fear had not abated, and I felt as if I could barely breathe. They were handmade, unadorned pine wood. And then I glimpsed a third, a row over, this one nailed shut. I tried nudging it with my foot. It was heavy. Wham! The door slammed shut. This time Sam and I both screamed. The lights went out. Look, said Sam. There was something written on the inside of the coffins and glow in the dark paint. Let us bury you alive. Win one thousand dollars. A thousand dollars. Think of the house. We could finish the bathroom. It was true. Work had slowed down at the exact wrong time. I said, I think I might be claustrophobic. Wait. She put her hand over my mouth. Hello? She spoke to the velvet dark. I held my breath and heard blood pumping in my ears. And then we were blinded by white light. The man was in the garage with us, pointing a powerful flashlight at our faces. Do we have any takers? Sam nudged me. My throat was closed. I couldn't even say no. As my eyes adjusted slightly, I could see that the man had changed into a baggy black suit, and he was carrying something in his other hand. A hammer. I said, What do your neighbors think of all this? I don't even know where the question came from, and it seemed to catch the man off guard as well. We all agree that the small business is the true engine of the American economy. And then, and I also do not know why I did this, I stepped inside one of the coffins and laid down. Very good, he said. He stepped over top of me and shined his light in my eyes, and I could see nothing else. For legal purposes, you need to say, I want to die. I laid there, squinting for what felt like a long time. But I don't, Sam sighed. The man said nothing, and his light did not move. I want to die. With that, he sprung into action. The lid was slammed shut over me, and then he began hammering in nails, one after another. I tested it with one hand and found that I really was trapped. 
I tried to check my heartbeat, but it was no use. Within moments, it felt as if it might break loose of my ribcage entirely. I tried taking deep breaths. It didn't seem to do much. I felt cold all over. He drove in the final nail, and then there was silence. I began to imagine already that I was running out of oxygen. The air felt too warm, too heavy. Even filling my chest too full of breath, pressed my arms against the walls of the coffin. I pushed harder, imagined the wood splintering, the whole thing shattering around me. But the carpentry was solid. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I did not like this man. In kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I felt the rubber toe of my shoe curl against the inside of the lid. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive those who trespass against us. I needed Sam to do something. She was a devout vegetarian, but she'd sooner eat a steak than flag down a waiter for bringing her the wrong order. This was untenable. Sam, I said. I could imagine how muffled and limp it must have sounded on the other side of the pine wood. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Sam? What? What do you want? And something in her voice broke through then, at the height of my fear, which had up until now blinded me to it. Disdain. Maybe even disgust. She was fed up with me and suddenly a much deeper, more sobering fear washed over me. Never mind, I said. But now with me in the coffin, he could overpower her easily. There was something deeply off about this man. Why had we elected me to lay in the coffin? Sam was torturing me, unleashing her sublimated pity and revulsion, trying to make me cry at a children's attraction. He lifted the head of the coffin and dragged it onto a cart, and then I heard the garage door open. Even inside of the coffin I could feel the chill of the night air. He rolled me around the side of the house and into the backyard. I heard Sam's footsteps following us through the grass. I wanted to see a business license. There's no way this was a legal operation. What sort of stage effects hokum was he going to pull? Surely I was not going into any actual hole in the earth in this man's yard. A little bit of piss escaped when I heard the blade of the shovel hit the soil. He asked my wife if she was sure she wouldn't like to join me. But who will remain to mourn my husband? He took another shovel full of dirt. I, I, I want to get out, please. I banged on the inside of the lid. I'm sorry. I can't. I can't. I, I don't want to do this anymore. Please, please let me out. I quit. I'm, I'm done. Nobody said anything for a long time, but the man stopped digging, so I know that they heard me. Babe, are you sure? It's a thousand dollars, remember? I said that I was, that I wanted to go home. Again, there was a long silence. Sir, you already said that you wanted to die. 
You entered into an implicit contract when you came here. I don't. I'll, I'll pay you for your time. A cancellation fee. Whatever you want. I just... Cancel. Please. Cancel. I waited. A wailing train passed somewhere in the far-off night. The crickets sang in the fields. The worst part about dying was that I wouldn't be able to explain. Who climbs inside of a coffin at a complete stranger's house and offers to let himself be buried in it? One of the most avoidable deaths of all time. There but for the grace of God go not even I. I would be defined by my death. A macabre Snapple fact. Every day for 35 years, every day, I woke up and lived and felt, and none of that will survive the past five minutes or the next hour. This random house in the middle of nowhere would overshadow all of it. If they ever even found me, I wouldn't be able to explain, and I wouldn't be able to point a detective at the exact right identical backyard to nudge him toward important clues he may overlook. If I am not a roadside oddity, I am an urban legend for high schoolers to scare each other with. And then with a loud crack, the lid split from the coffin. I could see moonlight through the gap. The man went around the edge, prying the lid up with his hammer. I closed my eyes and lay there feeling the cool air on my face and filling my lungs. I opened them. The lid was gone. I saw how Sam was looking at me. I didn't care. I was alive. The stars were shining. My legs were stiff and my back ached from clenching and the man led us back into his house without a word. Inside, all of the lights were on. All of the strobing and black lights were cut. The sound effects loops silenced. We entered through the laundry room and in the wash tub there were rubber gloves, a hacksaw, a plastic tarp, a bottle of bleach, and several jugs labeled acid. I think maybe I was starting to come down a bit and feeling a bit bad about ruining the show, about wasting the guy's night, and I said, nice touch. He stopped and looked at the tub and then at me and I could not read his face if the surprise was genuine. He was still carrying the hammer, I noticed. His face twitched a little when he swallowed and then he put on a knowing and almost friendly smile and gave me a little nod of understanding. On the way out, we passed a closed door. The sign on the door said, Stay out. Another leg of the tour that I'd ruined? Still feeling bad, I opened the door. Stairs led down to an unfinished basement. Unfinished and undecorated. The lights were on, though. And there was a noise. There was no misreading the anger on the man's face as he doubled back and confronted us. Maybe you just can't read. Sam was looking in the basement. Something in her expression set me on edge. Hello? She called out. The man craned his neck to look around me. This area is off limits. Sam didn't even turn to look at him, but began descending the basement stairs. I wanted to remind her that the man still had a hammer in his hand. He shoved through me, but it was too late. Sam had stopped two steps from the bottom. I followed the man down after her. The noise I'd heard was a CD player. 
The low basement was occupied by perhaps a dozen people, all seated in neatly spaced chairs facing the far wall. They were listening to a meditation track, a low, not unpleasant droning, some chimes, some birds, a running stream. They all wore some unremarkable combination of business casual staples, and none turned to look at us on the stairs. A gray carpet and a long folding table with some bananas and a coffee maker offered creature comforts to contrast the concrete floors and wall. While we watched, none of them said a word, and none moved except to breathe. Her demeanor changed entirely. Sam retreated back up the stairs in silence. We followed, and our host closed the door behind us. You know, there is just something about making a whole person disappear. The man spoke like he was talking about a new recipe he tried for dinner last week. Watch something dissolve sometime. It's mesmerizing. We were back in the foyer where we'd begun. The upstairs was dark. Fifteen minutes ago, they were a whole person, living and breathing, with breakfast plans for the morning, and then before your very eyes, nothing. I forced a grim, polite smile and nodded and put my arm around Sam. For a moment, I panicked that somehow the door would be locked from the outside. They don't even get to return, you know, like to the earth, to everything else. They're just erased, plucked from the circle. Thank you for your time, I said, and for the show. I'm sorry if I ruined it. We shook hands then, and he wished us a good evening. We heard him lock the door behind us. The ride home was quiet. The fog had crept off of the fields to cover the road. It was nearly one in the morning, and we'd forgotten entirely about calling the babysitter. I mentioned as much to Sam, and she just grunted. Maybe we should have told her about the incident, I said. She grunted again in response, only less so. I tried calling to tell her that we were on our way home. She did not pick up. I said, I hope everything is okay, and Sam said nothing. I said, I'm sure they're both just asleep by now. I'm sure everything is fine. Sam stared ahead at the fog and the road and all that dark and said nothing. Oh well. Whatever was happening, in that moment, all I could do was drive. So I drove.